0: Chapter 51 of The Wyvern Mystery This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. The Wyvern Mystery by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu Chapter 51 Sergeant Major Archdale Harry Fairfield was a captain in his county militia, It was right that the House of Fairfield should be represented in that corps. Charlie, who was of an easy, compliant temper, would have taken the commission and the light duties if that dignity had been put upon him. But Harry chose it. It extended his acquaintance, added to his opportunities of selling his horses, and opened some houses, small and great, to him in a neighbourly fashion when making his circuits to fair and market. He knew something of games, too, and was shrewd at whist and draughts, and held a sure cue at billiards. On the whole, his commission turned him in something in the course of a year. It was upon some regimental business that Sergeant Major Archdale was awaiting his return at Wyvern. Harry Fairfield, as it happened, was thinking of the sergeant as he rode into the yard in gloomy rumination. Well, Archdale, what's the news? said he, as he dismounted. The news was not a great deal. After he had heard it, Harry paused for a while and said he, quite well, Archdale, I hope. Well, sir, I thank you. Again Harry paused. How did you come, Archdale? Walked, sir. Walked? Oh, very well. There was another pause. Archdale, you must go in. Here, Clinton, get some luncheon for Sergeant Major Archdale, "'A drink of beer and a mouthful won't do you no harm, "'and, Archdale, before you go, let me know. "'I may have a word, and I'll say it walking down the avenue. "'Get Mr. Archdale some luncheon, Clinton, and some sherry.' "'I thank you, sir,' said the Sergeant Major. "Tis more like a supper for me. "'I've had my dinner, sir, some time.' "'And with a stiff military step, "'the Sergeant followed Clinton into the house.' The sergeant major was above the middle size and stout a body, which made him look shorter. His hair was closely cut and of a pale blue iron-gray. His face was rather pale and smooth as marble, full and long, with a blue chin and a sort of light upon his fixed lineaments, not exactly a smile, but a light that was treacherous and cruel. For the rest, his military coat, which was of the old-fashioned cut, and his shako with all the brasses belonging to them, and his Wellington boots, were natty and brilliant, and altogether unexceptionable, and a more perfectly respectable-looking man you could not have found in his rank of life in the country. Without a word, with a creak in his boots, he marched slowly in, with inflexible countenance, after Clinton. The squire met Harry in the hall. Hullo! It's a week a since I set my eyes on ye.' You'll look out for some other place for that mad filly ye brought of Jim Hardress. She's broke a boy's arm this morning in the stable. I'll not look after him, I promise you. Tis your affair, mind, and you'd better look sharp, and delay may cost ye you money. You're over-clever. The devil owes ye a cake this many a day, and he's a busy bishop, and he'll pay you a loaf yet. I promise you. She shan't be kicking my men, and she bites the manager beside. Get her away, mind, or, by my soul, I'll sell her for the damage. So old Squire Harry stalked on, and the last scion of his stock grinned after him, sulkily, and snarled something between his teeth, so soon as he was quite out of hearing. "'Whose arm broke, Dick? Or is it all a damned lie, or the Governor's?' inquired Harry of a servant, who happened to be passing at that moment. "'Well, yes, sir. Jem Slade's arm was broke in the stable. a kick, sir.' "'What kicked him?' "'The new horse that came in on Thursday, sir.' "'Mare, you mean? Why, that thing's a regular lamb. "'She never kicked no one. A child might play with her. "'More like twas the governor kicked him. "'And what did he do with his arm?' "'The doctor down in the town sat it and bound it up with splints, sir. "'Well, I didn't tell him, mind, that. "'I wasn't here, you know, good-natured of the doctor. "'I'll not deny, but he shan't be sending in no bills to me. "'And how's Jim since? Getting in nicely, I swear.' I don't know, sir. I didn't see him since. Hoot! That's all right. I warrant ye. And ye can tell old Slade if he likes it. I'll get him a bit of a writing to the hospital for Jim. But it won't be nothing, not a bit. And with this economical arrangement, Harry dismissed the subject for the present and took his stand upon the hall door steps and smoked his pipe, awaiting the close of Sergeant Major Archdale's repast. The long shadows and lights of golden sunset faded before the guest appeared, and twilight and the moths were abroad. Almost as the servant informed Harry Fairfield that Mr. Archdale was coming round to the hall door to receive his commands, the sergeant major appeared in front of the house, and Harry Fairfield stepped down to the court and was received by the militiaman with a military salute. "'I'll walk a bit with you, Archdale. I want a word about another matter, not regimental business.' We'll walk down towards the gate. Stiffly and silently, the sergeant major marched beside the smoking gentleman, who, having got a little way from the house, knocked the ashes out of his pipe and dropped it into his pocket. That militia soldiering is beggarly pay for a man like you, Archdale, and I want a clever fellow by and by, for when the squire goes off the hooks, and that can't be a long way off, I'll have a deal of trouble looking after things, for there's a young chap to succeed, plaguey long minority twill be, and one way or another the trouble will fall to my share being uncle, you see, to the little fella. Am I making it plain what I mean? Quite plain, sir, said the cold voice of the sergeant major. Well, there's the property down at Warhampton, a devilish wide stretch of land for the rental. There's good shoot in there, and two keepers, but I doubt they makes away with the game, and they want looking after, and there's the old Parker Warhampton you know that part of the country? Yes, sir. Well, I know you do. Well, it should turn in a good penny more than the governor gets. I can't bring it home to them, but I know what I think. Where the horse lies down, the hare will be found, and I doubt the park book's doctored. I'll be a sort o' of steward wanted there, do you see? Do you know Nalton Farm? Yes, sir. Well, it's a nice thing, a snug house, and as many acres as you'd want to begin with tenants going after harvest. You'd be the very man foot, and I'll tell them I'll do all I can to serve my nephew, but I must live myself too. I've now put my time and my wits to turn a penny by, and if I try to manage for him, I want the best help I can get, do you see? And you're the man I want. I've got no end of a character of ye for honesty and steadiness and the like, and you're a fella can use his eyes and hold his tongue." and you'd have the farm and the house, you know them, rent-free, and the grazing of three cows on the common, and it's none of your overstocked bare commons, but a sweet, a bit of grass as you'd find in the kingdom, and ye shall out fifty pounds a year beside, and the farm's nigh forty acres, and it's worth close on a hundred more, and, if you do all we want well, and I'm sure you will, I'll never lose sight of ye while grass grows and you and me lives. I thank you, sir said the cold, clear voice of Archdale. And there's a little bit of a secret. I wouldn't tell another about it myself, Archdale. I'll tell you, though, said Harry, lowering his voice. Yes, sir, said Archdale, in the same cold, stern way which irritated Harry. Well, I'm not talking, mind, to Sergeant Major Archdale, if you like the other thing at Knowlton Best. Norton Best, sir, certainly, thank you. But to Mr. Archdale of Knowlton, and steward of Warhampton, mind ye, and twill be settled next harvest. I thank ye, sir. Don't walk so quick, we're getting over the ground too fast. Well, there's a thing you'll have to keep dark for me. You'll find me confidential, sir. My superior officers did. I know that well, I know you, Archdale, and that is why I chose you out of a thousand. And it's a confidential fellow, damned confidential, I want for the country's all one as the town for talk, and tongues will keep going like the bells on a sheep walk, and there's many a bitter nonsense that's no great odds when all's told, that a chap wouldn't like to have made the laugh or the talk of the countryside. Yes, sir, said the inflexible sergeant-major. You held the same rank in the line, sergeant-major, didn't you? Yes, sir, said the sergeant-major, and saluted from habit. I thought so. And that says a deal for you, Mr. Archdale. And I remember one of your papers says you were the youngest sergeant ever made in your regiment. Yes, sir. Well, that says a lot, too. And a very responsible office, that is. Egad, from all eyes I've seen, I'd say the sergeants has more to do with the state of a regiment than all the other officers, commissioned or non-commissioned, put together. There's a good deal depends on em, sir. You keep to yourself, Archdale. "'That's the way to rise.' "'I was a man of few acquaintances, sir, "'and confidential with my superior officers, "'and few words, but I meant em, sir, "'and made the men do their duty.' "'That's the man for my money,' said Harry. "'Will you be ready for Knowlton Farm "'by the middle of next month?' "'Yes, sir, I expect.' "'I'll settle that for ye, then, "'and the pay and the commonage. "'I'll settle that with my father tomorrow.' "'and we'll get the writings drawn. I thank ye, sir.' "'And? Wait a bit. I told you,' said Harry, perhaps a little embarrassed. "'There's another little thing you must manage for me.' "'Yes, sir.' He almost wished Mr. Archdale to ask questions and raise difficulties. This icy surface beneath which he saw nothing began to embarrass him. "'Every fellow's a fool once or twice in his life, you know, Archdale,' And that's the way rogues make money, and honest chaps is sold. No fools at the fair, no sale for bad wear, you know? He looked for sympathy in the face of the sergeant major, but he found there neither sympathy nor ridicule, but a serene, dignified, supercilious composure. Well, I'm not married, and more's the pity, he said, affecting a kind of jocularity, uneasily. But among em, they've made me a present of a brat they calls my son. I must just put him to nurse and provide for him. I do suppose, and keep all quiet, and ye look out some decent poor body that lives lonely and won't ask no questions, nor give no trouble. But be content we a trifle, and I'll get to you every quarter for her. And she'll never hear my name, mind, nor be the wiser who owns it, or where it came from. I'd rather she thought twas her poor body's, if they think a fellow's well to do, it makes them unreasonable. And that's the reason I pitched on you, Archdale, because you're a man of sense, and won't be talking like the prattling fools that's going. And is it settled? Is it a bargain? Yes, sir. I thank you. Quite, said Archdale. Well, then, ye shall hear from me by the end of the week, and uh, not a word, mind, till all signed and sealed about Notton Farm, and about t'other thing, never. The stars is coming out bright, and the sunset, did you mind? Well, it's a frost tonight, it's come dark very sudden, sharp air. He paused, but the non-commissioned officer did not venture a kindred remark, even an acquiescence in these meteorological speculations. I heard the other day you made an organ for Mr Arden, is it true? said Harry, suddenly. Just a small thing, three stops, sir, diaposin principal Darcyaner. "'Well, I don't know nothing about such gear, except hear the old organ a on Sundays. "'But it's clever, are you? How did you learn?' "'Prentice, sir. Two years to an organ-builder in Westminster, Mr. Lomas, and he died, and I was put to the army,' said Archdale. "'Well, I may give you a lift that way, too. They were talking of an organ for Warhampton Church. We'll see. I'll not forget.' "'I thank you, sir,' repeated Archdale. "'Any more commands for me, sir?' Mr. Archdale stood stiffly at the gate, drawn up as it were at right angles to Harry Fairfield. No, nothing, Archdale. I'm glad the thing suits you, and it may lie in my way to make them better than you think. For good night, Archdale. Good night, Sergeant Major. Good night, sir. And Archdale wheeled to his left and, with his back towards the village of Wyvern, marched away at so stiff and regular a quick march that you could have fancied the accompaniment of drums and fifes. Harry stood at the iron gate, one half of which was open, and he kicked a stone listlessly into the road, and, leaning on the old iron arabesques, he looked long after that portly figure receding in distance and melting in twilight. "'Nights the mother of thought, I have heard say,' said Harry, rousing himself, and swinging the great valve into its place with a clang but thought won't do to dine on. Hello! Gate! Gate! Any Anyone? he shouted. Lock the gates, some of you, and make all sure for the night. And with these orders to Jorix, he marched back under the ancestral trees to the old hall of Wyvern, who was to keep the hearth of the Fairfields aglow. The light of the old squire's life was flaring low in the socket. A tiny taper was just lighted in darksome carwell. And Harry Fairfield... Was he ever to take his turn and illuminate the wyvern world? End of chapter 51